This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. Lucas Peterson and I are here today with a very longtime friend and colleague, Lisa Rangel. Uh, it's good to have you here, Lisa. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here with you both. Thank you. Excited too. I'm excited too. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about Lisa personally in a minute, but I want you guys to have her formal bio. Uh, she is the founder and CEO of Chameleon Resumes, uh, a premier executive resume writing and job landing consulting firm. She's a trusted senior level job landing expert who believes in being prepared for whatever life throws your way as the key to continued professional growth. Uh, She's also a graduate of Cornell University, the author of 16 career ebooks and resources, and a 15-year friend of mine. And she has, she know, she's really great at knowing how to handle when life throws you a curveball because she's had lots of curveballs herself, and she's helped me weather many of my curveballs. And uh, her ability to see the big picture and to be able to really think strategically when it comes to your career and listen to me traders your brand because we all have a brand now whether we like it or not and that is her sweet spot so i wanted lisa here today listeners for one specific reason Trading can be very volatile. There's times in your life where you are going to absolutely need to have a day job. You're going to absolutely need to pivot career-wise. There's nobody better who's going to give you more free information, never mind her valuable information that's for sale. But Lisa is so generous with what she has to offer on LinkedIn, on her own website, that it's just gobsmacking. And I really want you guys to just have all these backup plans, and Lisa, I feel, is the woman to give them to you. So thank you, Lisa. Sorry for the long intro. Oh, my God. I'm totally honored that you that you think all that. Thank you. <laughs> I, think, I think you're one of a kind. You're one of a kind. Your experience as a recruiter uh, prior to be doing this, I think, informs your wisdom of understanding both sides yeah. of that game. So, so just tell us a little bit about how Chameleon Resumes came into being and why, you know, you're somebody people use when they want to prepare for that future. Well, uh, you know, well, well, thank you so much for, like I said, the, the, the generous bio there and uh, the opportunity to be here. Um, you know, Chameleon, I, I started in 2009 um, and it came from being laid off, you know, and the, the, I, I did actually come up with the concept in February 2008 because I was laid off then. And but then I did land something pretty quickly um, that, you know, gave me a couple of months off and I was still able to start in May and uh, May 2008. And so I, I, I shelved my logo and my name and I shelved it. And then, you know, that year, um, 2008, I was hired. I brought on, I don't know, I think like 20 or no, like, like 
I, I, br I brought on my team um, from, I brought 20 people on to bring it to a team of 40. And by September, 2008, you know, uh, the company's like second biggest client was Bear Stearns. And so by September, 2008, you know, I was laying off people that I had hired just, you know, three, four months prior. And uh, I did the, the biggest layoff was like two, three days before Thanksgiving that year. Oh, and then, you know, and, and I knew the P&Ls and frankly, the, they should have laid me off, you know, the owners <laughs> of the company. I knew the numbers. I knew what they paid me. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. But they kept me on till March. And, you know, so March 2009, I was ultimately laid off. And, uh, you know, that's when I kind of took the chameleon idea off the shelf. And I just started writing resumes. Lord knows people needed them that year. And, you know, I just started charging and I sent an email to, you know, 400 of my closest friends. And, <laughs> and I lived off that email for like, you know, I don't know, like six, seven months. And then, wow. um, and then I was like, you know, I could probably do this for business. And I was really burnt out on recruiting on, on, on top of that. So, I, you know, although I was interviewing for recruiting jobs and I took some contract, recruiting jobs um, that, you know, that 2009-10 period, I basically just focused on writing resumes and then realized I can give it a go. So that's what I did. Would you be willing to tell people who deal with recruiters who have to, who have already dealt with them or who will have to in the future, what's, what are some of the errors people have thinking that a recruiter should be doing for them. I, I have heard a lot of people who get mixed up about that. So would you just give people like the behind the scenes? Yeah, totally. I mean, there's so many misconceptions. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, briefly, just a, a couple of points, like third party recruiters, that, you know, the search firm recruiters, not so much the corp, this mostly applies to them, not necessarily the corporate recruiters, but um, the search firm recruiters are not there to find candidates jobs. I think that's like big misconception number one. And, um, and frankly, that even goes for corporate recruiters, you know, to be honest. Um, but recruiters, search firm or corporate, their job is to find qualified talent for their client. And that's who's paying them, right? And if it's a search firm recruiter, the company's paying them a fee to find the talent. Um, and if you're a corporate recruiter, your client is, you know, the internal manager that you need to find the person for and the person paying you is your employer. So, you know, the, if you happen as the candidate, be the product that is needed and identified as the right product for that particular line manager within a corporate role or a search firm, you know, corporate client, then the illusion is that the recruiter is finding you a job. But make no mistake, they are simply delivering a product to their client that is paying them a fee or paying their salary. So I think that if people can realize that and, and understand that's the nature of the relationship, and that, that doesn't mean a good recruiter is still not going to take care of you as the candidate, but they're doing it for a greater purpose um, and, and it's not to serve you. And so I think that's, that's number one. And so, and then I think the second biggest misconception is that the best way to find a job is through a recruiter. And, you know, in actuality, sources of hire studies show that only about 10 to 15% of hires happen through third party recruiters. And, and so, you know, if you're not networking, um, if you're not wisely and, and, and strategically using job boards that, and it should not, that should also not be your main 
way to look for a job. But if you're not basically networking, you're basically kind of dead in the water. And if you happen to be, again, the product that a client, that a recruiter can present to their company that will garner a fee for placing you, um, then by all means go that route. But that's not the only way, thankfully, to find the job. But that's a common mistake that people make because they don't want to do the work usually, right? Not to sound crude, but it's a lot easier for somebody to say, hey, I got a job for you. You want to go? And they say, yeah, sure. And then they send you and they facilitate the process. And it's not that it's still not dramatic, but that's definitely a hell of a lot easier than essentially pounding the virtual pavement, trying to look for, you know, interviews and networking conversations. So it's, I I get it, but people do themselves a disservice when they're kind of like putting the blinders on about it. Yeah. And now thinking that they can outsource that work. Exactly. Whose motive is actually in their, you know, wallet's best interest, who's going to make me look good. Right. When I put these candidates forward and even I I know that in my own experience, many years ago, there was that feeling. I I was confused in the beginning. I really thought they were helping me. It is. Right. It's confusing. It's, it's, it is, it's definitely confusing. It definitely can be confusing, but it's just, it's just understanding the business model, especially. And then the other side of it, it you know, one, because you're not paying, right. And, and a right. candidate shouldn't pay a recruiter. Um, that's the other thing. So then sometimes candidates make the mistake of thinking, well, if I pay the recruiter, they'll find me a job. That model is like ripe for scam. And, and, you know, there any recruit, any decent recruiter or legitimate recruiter, I should say, is not asking the the company the, the is not asking the candidate for money. Yeah. And there's you know internet you can Google that. There's internet scams documented left, right, and center about that. So you know you might pay someone like me to, to create your marketing and show you how to execute the search, but you are we are still very clear that you are doing the search and we're not placing you. Yes. And you know so that's one business model, or it's a third party recruitment firm that is clear that their fee base is coming from the company that's hiring them and the candidate is not the business model of the revenue source. So if it, but if it's a recruiter that's saying, pay us and we'll find you an interview, mm, run the other way. Cause it's, yeah. it's, it's legitimately most likely a scam. Yeah. And I'm just gonna, you know, speak now that I know that there are traders who are listening to us who might be, you know, confused about why, I have this topic here today, or why I invited you here, Lisa, but I just know that life has a bunch of curveballs. And I have spoken to traders who find that they have to now care for an elder, or there's suddenly uh, an issue with caretaking for their children, and they have to have a day job. Many of them have a day job in addition to trading. Those that are more sophisticated, of course, don't. But I also sometimes because they're so young, I want them to always be thinking about the next 10 to 20 to 30 years. And there's a lot of activity on social media now, sometimes traders not always seeing that they are a brand. So just talk because of your incredible knowledge of LinkedIn and your incredible knowledge of this social media aspect of all of us. 
you know, I, I'm of the opinion, we're always interviewing for potential opportunities, mm -hmm. offers like being a host on a podcast, like being somebody who potentially comes to our firm, be somebody who might tap somebody to write content for them. Like traders still have other opportunities. We're always needing to think about multiple streams of income. So for traders who think, oh, I don't need a resume writer. I don't need somebody who knows how to find a job. Talk about why you and I both felt this was an important topic today. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting when you when you approached me on it. And, you know, I mean, I think of just some investing, you know, philosophies of how, you know, you once you once you've made an you know investment on a stock and you've made your if, if it you know, goes up pretty quickly, you take out what you originally put in and let the rest ride. So at least you protect your initial investment. And, you know, when you think of things like that, it's really the same thing for just a, a, a grander scope of, of your, you know, your financial life, right? So um, if all of a sudden trading, like what if all of a sudden emotionally you're not able to handle the trading any longer, you know, or you have a period of a slump and you can't get out of it, or um, you just simply want to break. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you may want to break from it. Um, what are going to be your options that you can play from there? And, you know, you may get tired of trading, but then you want to set up a business to monetize showing people how to trade or yeah. ways that they can trade or, you know, all the different offshoots that, you know, go around being a successful trader. Um, and so if you have a brand that you have been promoting online or even just passively doing online you know you now have a following that you might be able to either tap for opportunities you know maybe you want to go work for a firm and as an investor and they'll let you trade for them um you know so it it, it just depends or like you said you want to start being you know a guest on a podcast right so that you need to be findable uh in order to do that or if you're reaching out and promoting yourself what are people going to find when they click back to, to see what you have to offer so i think you just create opportunities for yourself when you simply maintain the brand, you know, and it doesn't have to be in any, you know, obsessive, you know, every day, hour of the day kind of way. It can be weekly. It can be even monthly if it's really, you yeah. know, it can be simply using it as a networking platform and not so much what you put out in terms of the information, but maybe you just use it to reach out to people within your network, former employer, you know, former coworkers, former college connections, people you know, but, or and as well as people you don't know, but you leverage, you know, those prior coworker, you know, you share the same employer, even if you don't know each other, or you share the same college, even though you don't know each other. So you leverage that and you just simply set up networking chats and you don't know where it's going to go, but you're at least expanding the network. And, um, you know, I just think that, keeping things a little warm now and again mm -hmm. just keeps things optional you know and um that was sort of the context and it's you know it's 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 not as sexy as it you know it's like selling insurance it's not very sexy but it but it it helps when you feel like you need to pivot or have to pivot and it's not by choice oh it's sexy when there's a gun to your head yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right right like, i am looking at no revenue and i have to pivot then it comes right or, or when you have the flood you know flooding your house that all of a sudden insurance is really sexy right <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so. But, and i feel that a lot of people wait until the last minute to oh yeah even at their linkedin profile look at their social media 
footprint. And I, I'm, you know, I'm very lucky, undoubtedly because of our friendship 15 years ago, when I just started my own coaching firm, I remember thinking, wow, everything I put at Facebook was the first thing that I guess I got started with 15 years right. ago. I remember thinking, well, wait a minute, will people see what I post years from now? And I remember talking with you just about the concept of social media. And you were like, yes, forever. And I was like, that's a long time. Like, you've got to be mindful of yeah. that brand and or everything you put out there because it does live forever. So talk about that, how people sometimes come in at the last minute and they haven't. Built. I'm still shocked at finance executives who still don't have a LinkedIn profile. I'm just oh, yeah. like, what the look, I mean, you know, a lot of times, look, people come to us and they haven't needed it. You know, if you, on our line, on our end of it, you know, the more the corporate side, that's the primarily the base of our, our clients. Um, you know, if they've been promoted, you know, sought after, uh, recruited their entire life, you know, you don't necessarily give, because you've, you've just based on the work that you're doing and the reputation you've made for yourself, like it's easy to think like, I don't really need all that stuff, you know? But then, I mean, it, it just, I have a business because people get to a point after being recruited, sought after and promoted their whole entire career that all of a sudden they have to now proactively do a search and, you know, because, and it could be for a myriad of reasons. It could be because they're just simply not happy. They're, they realize they're not part of the succession, succession plan that they thought they were. They're on the, the you know, the, the terrible end of the merger and acquisition. You know, they're on the losing end of the merger and acquisition and they're going to be out in a few months or, or a few weeks. Or they just got axed that day and they call us, you know, um, and, and they didn't expect it. So, you know, you need it. You don't need it until you need it kind of thing. And, you know, just sometimes keeping it, I can't tell you how many calls we get there, um, you know, and that's obviously the negative side, but then there's also the positive side of it. Mm -hmm. Like I got my dream job call. Can you get this done in two days? I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it literally, and I'll see that it's somebody on my list who's been on my list for like two years. And I'm like, have you read anything I've done? You know, like <laughs> about getting prepared, you know? <laughs> so it is human nature, you know, life is full, you have so many things and it's easy to put the thing you don't need that's preventative, you know, on the like, I'll do it later list. So it's, it's human, right? I'm not being critical, sure. but you know, it's, but the, you know, I think in, in the area of trading, it can be volatile. It is very emotional. And, you know, if, if your living is tied to it, and you come into a situation where you actually need those resources and you can't keep them in the market or, you know, emotionally you're not able to, to, you know, maneuver the trades properly, you know, or effectively, um, you know, and you kind of lose your edge, which happens to people, you know, what are your options? And I think those, those are the questions somebody needs to ask themselves. And, you know, they may have a consulting gig, they may have, other ways to do it that don't involve doing, you know, a LinkedIn profile or, or managing a network of some kind on a corporate sense. But the key is to just think about it, you know, so and then it involve, you know, things that um, involve, you know, LinkedIn and that, things like that, then obviously that's, you know, some ideas we can put out today. But let's, let's talk about the concept of the importance of networking, what you mean by networking. And that is also probably how we actually met was our, both yeah. of us. Right? We, met, we met through networking, taking risks. 
dead. Doing funky things. <laughs> and because we didn't resonate with the concept of networking. We, right. we didn't want to be involved in transactional networking. And so we probably should give a shout out to Keith Ferrazzi now for bringing yeah, that together. together. Exactly. And he, uh, his book at the time was called Never Eat Alone. And it specifically was talking about building. Actually, it was the Who's Got Your Back email. I thought. Was it really? I, I, I'm eat book. I think that one was it. Was that? I think that was the second book he came. Yeah, and that was the book that was the That's GMA. The that, was that was the GMA story. Was, that was the GMA story. Yeah. Okay, Lisa was actually featured on Good Morning America. Uh, Keith hand picked her to feature her in her new business. I thought it was Greenlight Community. That's when how he, we came about. Yeah, that's, you and that's how we came together. Okay, all right. So, Never Eat Alone was a book. Lisa Still read a great book, though. <laughs> a powerful book because he talks about the impact and life-changing possibilities. You've changed my life, Lisa. So, and, and I'm still connected to all those people we met yeah, in, in that right. academy in some way, shape, or form. And Keith's journey around networking and what he talks about in Never Eat Alone is that when you treat it warmly and you not see it as just a numbers game, but human beings you're connecting with, his belief is that that is created his opportunities. And he was trying to teach people you can network non-transactionally and it can change your life right i can absolutely attest to that i know you can too lisa but those who think oh networking especially because we've been in a pandemic how the hell do i even network you know I'm i mean it, it's funny because um i i detest you know the, the the more traditional or common idea of networking like it just literally goes you know <laughs> i just don't want to do it i don't want to walk in the room whether it's virtual or in person and you know it's just ew right um but you know i'll send emails or linkedin messages or leave messages phone messages like just keeping it really loose you know like you know like hey i we haven't talked in a few months and I was just thinking about you and, you know, give me a call. Don't give me a call. I know things are crazy, but I'd love to, talk, to catch up and, you know, and at the minimum, no, I was thinking about you. That's it. Yep. You know, like I think people, you know, and I'd say, you know, and I certainly didn't haven't like kept track, but I'd say like more than 50% of the time I get something back. Right. Like, you know, and, and it just keeps things warm. It keeps things loose. And, and, and then in a lot of times it just comes more comes from it, you know, or, um, you know, and I think it doesn't have to be really heavy. It doesn't have to be really intricate or high maintenance. Like it can literally be just that, you know, and it can be, and it can be that light with people we don't know, you know, like, Hey, I, I saw that you wrote that article, like great point in there. I just, you know, if you ever want to have a chat, would love it. Here's, and I, and I'll, you know, I advise people to sign up for Calendly links or Acuity links or any of those automated schedulers. Those to me are like the best things ever. And you just send the link and say, look, and, or if nothing works, you want to send me your link, send me your link. Cause you know, some people think there's like a power trade and who's sending the link. And so I'm like, give me yours or here's mine, you know, like just keep it easy and that's it. Right. Like agenda less. And I'll say like, no pressure, no obligation. If you don't reply, it's all good. Just know that I was a fan. Yeah. So like, yeah. You know, like, I think gone are those days of like, you know, well, I'll call you Friday at three o'clock and we'll get together.
like, you know, like just don't be like, don't be a to-do list item on somebody's, you know, list, right. Don't create a to-do item, a to-do item list for them. Yes. And, you know, uh, where they have to reply or if they don't, now they feel like they're letting you down Yeah. and don't be a to-do list item for, you know, that, that you have to, you know, constantly go after them. Like, so I just keep it loose. So if they don't reply to me, I don't have the intrinsic rejection. Yes. Right. And if like, I, I'll say, if you don't get back to me, it's cool. Like I say that in the note, like that probably goes against every, you know, yeah, outreach book ever. Right. Like you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think but it's like, supposed to be looking forward to hearing from you. Right. Looking forward to hearing from you. I'll talk a Friday at three o'clock. Like I literally do the anti result email, like, or note, like, cause people are tired. And I think anytime you can lower the expectation And you give someone a chance to supersede your expectation. Like if I'm writing, I don't expect you to email me back, but just know that I'm like really happy that you're even reading this probably. They're like, Oh great. Hi. Now they look like a freaking hero. Right. So like anytime you can create an opportunity for somebody to exceed your expectation. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's powerful. And you only do that by keeping it really low in expectation, you know? And so you know, like I, I mean, I had a LinkedIn post that I really wanted somebody that I admired to to comment on because I thought it was like in their wheelhouse and it would be really cool. And yeah. and I just, I just LinkedIn messaged them the other day and I was like, I know this is a big ask and you don't really know me. And if this doesn't resonate with you, just keep on reading and ignore my request. But I'd love it if you can share some wisdom if it resonates with you. No obligation, no pressure. Yeah. And yep. if you don't, just know that I still admire your work and great. And they responded and they commented. Wow, he's that's amazing. You know what I mean? And there was a couple more that didn't, and that's okay too, right? Like, but like, I think if you're, and it was like, you know, not a long thing, and it was easy, and yeah, you know, yeah. and that's it. So like, I think you just have to keep it easy. People are tired, you know. Yes. Yeah. For sure, but I you don't have to ask. Maintenance either, you know. So that's a way of coming across low maintenance. <laughs> yeah, definitely come across low maintenance because there is so much expectation out there. But the point is, you are asking, and right. you know, one of the things after my book came out, people would say, "How did you get these famous people?" And I was like, "I asked them." Right. Radical, but most people don't ask because I guess they already shoot themselves in the foot thinking, oh, they may say no. So what, you know, right. so what? Right. Yeah. A lot of what I'm hearing there, Lisa, is like, you're not precious about this, right? Like, especially with networking. And I feel like that's, there's so much like baked into the idea of networking in our, in our culture. Mm-hmm. about Like we need to schmooze people or get something in return or provide something to them. And right. like, it seems like, maybe the less precious we are with it and like the the less we don't care, (laughs) the more we get out of it. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I mean, I mean like, I, you know, it, I don't know if don't care is the right phrase, but yeah, it's probably, I I totally see where you're going with it. I don't mean to be critical. Like it just, it just didn't hit me the right way, but it's just, it's really about like lowering the expectation you know, and uh, in terms of what we're supposed to receive and also what we're supposed to do as a performance, right? Like, 
you know, again, my, my husband just started a home inspection business and it's a totally different business model than he had done when he was a general contractor. And, you know, before he needed, you know, like eight deals a year maybe, and that was it. And it covered him for the year. Now he needs like, you know, eight a week. And, uh, it's a totally different business model and and he's not an inherent networker and he's just like this feels so cheesy and i'm like it is i'm like just look at the person who looks more uncomfortable than you and maybe go talk to them and make them feel better you know and like that's your goal for the day you know and don't talk about the business just and you know and and it's like just just approach people like humans you know yeah and and try to treat people like they're in your living room and just be easy and low expectations and make them comfortable. And I, I just don't see how that doesn't win for most people to at least leave a positive impression to then springboard into maybe another conversation that is more meaningful. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, as I remember about, you know, Keith's uh, book and his advocacy was that you open that initial introduction it, it be it electronically or in person with the motive of how you could be of service to them, mm-hmm. how it, you could be a contribution to them. Mm-hmm. And one of the specific techniques he talked about, which, you know, this was pre pandemic, of course, was that if you're at a cocktail party and there's somebody that you're looking forward to talking to, or you're joining a small group of a conversation already in you know, active, it's already begun. Notice whose glass is empty mm-hmm. and offer to get them a glass when you go to get your own. So mm-hmm. every meeting I did it after learning that, he talked about it, I think one of the dinners he had for us. And he always had us tables that were very narrow. So we could not just talk to the person across the table, but to the right, left, and across and diagonal. <laughs> and and so I just remember ever since then, when ever even if I'm at like a house party or a friend's house or meeting new friends of family, I'll find a person who has an empty, you know, soda glass, wine glass, whatever. And I'll say, I, I don't get my drink. I go to them first and I'll say, hey, can I fill that up for you? I'm going to get myself on. And almost everybody says yes. And almost everybody is like, they want to talk to me now. Like, yeah. Why did you do that? Are you the hostess? No, I'm just here like you. They're like, what? So it's like that sense of how can you be a contribution to somebody else? Yeah. And they, they can't help but want to be one to you. And that's not why you do it per se, but it certainly starts the warm, you know, camaraderie. Development. Yeah. Exactly. No, and I just think having that, you know, to get back to sort of the original like premise behind it, like it's just, it's, you know, that Harvey McKay, you know, old school kind of concept of like, you know, having the well before you need it. I think that was him, right? Um, was. You know, building the well before you need it. And, and it's just having a little bit of a well, right? And frankly, you can start that with like, you know, people like trading people that, you, you know, traders that you trust. It can start with that. And then, you know, it it doesn't, so it it can be, you know, it can be multi-purpose. It doesn't have to be so compartmentalized and, you know, um, yes, being curious about people and, you know, things like that, um, just helps. And then, and then if things shift, you, you know, you have some places to ask for help. So. Yeah, for sure. What, what do you feel when people have the opportunity conversation, when they have been tapped 
when they are about to go in and try to pitch themselves, tell us some of the best practices that they should get comfortable with before those conversations take place. I, I think one of the, you know, and this is obviously a very general context. I think generally speaking, you really got to know who you're pitching to, you know, like what's, what's, what's the purpose? What are they about? What do you think they're going to want to fix? What, what opportunities lie before them that they're going to want to capitalize on? What's, what challenges do they need fixed? Um, you know, it's, you know, don't just pitch, and this goes for even just regular old job interviews, like don't just pontificate about everything you've done, like, like and, and none of them tie to what that person needs. Like, you know, the thing you have the most pride in might be something they absolutely don't give a crap about. And so you really need to do a gut check and say like, okay, is this just simply a brag fest or is this me trying to connect with the person to show how I'm either a solution to the problem or a solution to capitalize on, on an opportunity, um, you know, or an advisor, right? Or whatever the, the nature of the, the relationship is that you're trying to get going. And I think doing the research or asking the right questions to find out what's needed first before, you know, just simply pitching um, and where you're like coming across like a braggart and and one-sided that's i think usually the biggest mistake somebody can make when they're doing any sort of pitch again whether it's uh more business related or if it's job related you know at any level it's it's really i mean even a job interview is essentially a, a business meeting of two equals if you're doing it properly right so you need to assess what your person or company needs and then make your pitch of how you're the solution and what are some of the things that people need to realize they need to include if they get that down, if they are doing the homework to make sure that what they're pitching meets the needs of that person they're pitching or the company that person represents mm -hmm. or the opportunity that that person represents. Right, right. What are some of the places that people don't realize they should focus on? because they're caught up perhaps in another, they have their own perspective, but it's not, there's just times I know that I've sent clients to you and they, you have said to them about their resumes, about their CVs, and even their LinkedIn profile, that their focus isn't as narrow or speaking in a way, in a, not in a braggart way, but, you know, highlighting their wins, highlighting right. the tangibility of their wins. So to talk a little bit about that, too. You, you definitely want to speak, you know, to your achievements in a, you know, concrete, you know, measured manner and, and not just, you know, rely or, uh, you know, pontificate based on years of experience, right? Because honestly, years of experience don't necessarily qualify somebody, you know, let's face it, right? Um, but if you have recent, relevant, measurable achievements that, you know, you can articulate in a relatable way that are relevant to what the job or the company needs, then you're going to get some traction. You know, Say you're gonna... one more time, slower, because they were so powerful. <laughs> um, if you, you know, if you... Seniority alone is not going to qualify you. You can't just simply say, I have 20 years of experience and that's why I can do the job. But if you have recent relatable um, or recent relevant experience that you can articulate 
how it's related to what the company needs, you're going to get some traction and, and make sure those achievements are articulated in, in a measured in a measured way, you know, and there's a few different formats you can use to do it. There's like, you can Google car stories for interviews or star stories, you know, challenge, action, result, or um, situation, task, action, result. There's different ways of doing it, but the key is to demonstrate the measurement and, or, and in situations where it's hard to quantify, you know, cause not every task or responsibility is a measured task, but you know, how do you know you did a good job, right? Nobody has a job out of charity. So w what did you avoid if it's like a risk mitigation situation or what did you, uh, you know, educate that made things better? Like how did you, what, what, how do people know you did a good job? And that's essentially the root of the achievement. And you want to speak to that because achievements are ageless. You know, it's, it's a, a way to, you know, and, and, you know, I know the demographic, I think of your audience, aren't necessarily older they're also younger but you know sometimes younger people don't get a shot at things because they're like oh you're too young you haven't done this long enough like so you know there's the reverse of it right and uh, and so the key is when you again at any age if you lead with recent relevant achievements in a measured manner you're going to get more traction than trying to relay uh, rely strictly on seniority or strictly on you know youthful energy <laughs> so what is tell people your website now we'll put it in the line notes sure i want them to have it uh chameleonresumes.com is our executive resume writing firm and job landing academy is where we have all of our diy do-it-yourself career resources and that is so robust people i mean you give so much away for free lisa it's you. insane you always have and also lisa does a daily email that's chock full of really valuable information and helps you really think strategically just about you again as the brand and how to constantly keep yourself plugged in in ways that may not benefit you right this second but it could benefit you in the next month, year, five years. And that's really what I want everybody who's listening to consider. What you're doing now may not be what you're doing forever. Build that well now, prepare for that. If you're not on LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn. Why? Because that's where everybody who potentially hires you as a consultant or full-time or part-time is gonna look. They're gonna look to see what you look like they're going to look to see if you have testimonials under your name they're going to look to see what kind of posts do you put up right all of that is is setting a sense of your identity out there make sure it's congruent you know your right. twitter feed people look at that stuff they look at what you like they look at what you like people what are you pressing that heart for if that is not congruent with your brand you got to think about that I mean, I don't want anybody to misrepresent themselves, but I just, sometimes I'm like, do they realize we can see this? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think some people do realize. Yeah. What happens when you bump into that? When somebody comes to you and they are looking at a senior level opportunity and you go looking at them and you're just horrified. You know, um, I mean, we're, we're honest with them, you know, we'll say like, you know, you, you can choose not to take it down, but you have to realize there's, 
there's, there can be consequences. There can be pros and cons. You have to be okay with the possible consequences that come from, you know, being possibly polarizing, but like in a bad way, right? Like, so, um, you know, and they have to, they have to be okay with that being part of the brand and they have to be okay with absorbing any of the, you know, negative aspects of it that come from that. And, you know, we'll advise accordingly, right? But it's like going to the doctor, they can tell you, you got to mm-hmm. exercise and diet and you don't, yeah. you can choose not to, right? So like, you know, um, yeah. we hope they listen, you know, um, and, you know, if, I mean, we ultimately want people who are going to be coachable because obviously then they'll get the results. Um, you know, I, I don't really want to, you know, if someone isn't, is going to be difficult with us, then it's probably not going to be fun for either of us. Right. And I ultimately want somebody to get results and, and in a way that, that makes them happy to the results need to make them happy. And if we can align from that from the beginning, then it, it should work. It should be just fine. But, um, but typically we just outline the pros and cons and let people make their decision. Well, what do you, because of there's so much talk in the media currently about how, uh, you know, there's many more positions open than there are people to fill them, that there, this is the great, you know, resignation period. Right. What's your experience on the front lines around that concept? Is it true? Is it warped by the media, how it's presented to us? What's, what are you seeing with the people you're working with? You know, I, I think the, the resignation part is really um, mostly the, the, the rank and file type positions, you know, that, uh, you know, that have no choice but to be, you know, at work. There's no work from home option, you know, if you're a waiter or a janitor or, you know, things like that. Um, and, and there's, I think, options now that maybe didn't exist before. Um, you know, and so I think that it's, it's semi-compartmentalized. I don't think it's all over. I think it's, you know, and, and frankly, I think there's a lot of need that's causing it as well. Like some people can't physically go to a job and put their health at risk or their family's health at risk, or they don't have coverage at home for children or, um, you know, especially when schools were home, you know, if the kids are home more because of maybe COVID outbreak at school, you know, it's, you're inconsistent with childcare and things like that. So I just think there's so much um, that's affecting it. It's not simply this glamorized, like everybody's going to work from home now. I don't think that's it. Um, I think there's a lot more to it than sometimes what gets portrayed or, or gets assumed. It's not just a white collar phenomenon you know it's it's a blue collar phenomenon and um and it's not always to make things better it's it's sometimes out of need and it's not necessarily better but they have to do it so i I think there's a few things like that but i also think that there's really no better time i mean i don't think the the traditional nine to five model uh, monday through friday has worked for a lot of years for a lot of people um and but you know that's really the, the only thing that was an option for most people and so now that this worked you know working from home and alternative hours and flex schedules and hybrid models like i just think that that genie's not going back in the bottle you know like it's it, it's it's a model that hasn't worked the old model hasn't worked for a long time but 
it was so hard to break it. And now that it's been broken, I think the companies that adjust to giving hybrid models and flex models um, are going to attract the best talent because not everybody has a life that fits well in a nine to five Monday through Friday scenario. Not everybody's productivity yes. works well yeah. in a nine to five Monday through Friday in-person scenario either. You know, so I think if companies are really being smart, it's not even just being nice to employees. Like if you want to look at this from a ruthlessly fiscal standpoint, I think people are more productive when they have different options. Mm-hmm. You know, even based on the type of work, you have work that you need to be alone and not interrupted. You have work that you need to collaborate with people. Like, so if you yes. can set up your work schedule based on that, yes, your work in, in theory then will be more productive. So, you know, I just think it's, it's, I mean, when you really think about it, it's foolish to think that everybody's productive in this one way. Yeah. Yep. You know, so offering more ways is just going to make companies more productive. And so because why have your traders probably trade from home, right? Because they could do it. And work early in the morning, depending on where right. in the, right. in where the, they in are. The, and if they're Bitcoin, it's 24 hours, like, you know, exactly. or, or crypto, I should say. Right. So, yeah. exactly. you know. But, but here, here's a really, here's a question I'm going to just ask you on the fly, because if traders are trying to cre- be creative with their day job or with one of their side hustles, and they want to ask their boss or those people that manage their schedule, what would be a good pitch? Some of what you just said, it feels to me like, maybe the company you work for or the person you work for isn't looking at things this way, but how do you position it for yourself if you want to approach management uh, in a way that's not benefiting just you, but benefiting them? You know, I, the general suggestions I've given to, to clients is to propose a trial period. You know, um, whatever that may look like for that scenario, it can be, you know, three months, it can be six months, it can be like, you know, you're going to work from home two days or three days or one day or, you know, whatever the case may be. And like, just set the parameters and, and give it a trial period because, you know, companies are afraid of giving something and then being in the position of looking like they're taking it away. Right. I mean, they don't want to be that person. Right. And so, and when it's unknown, Right. And then they're also afraid that, well, if, you know, you give it to Joe, you got to give it to this one. And, you know, they're so yeah. and, and that while it shouldn't totally matter, it matters. Right. Because everybody's different. So but, you know, at the same time, everybody needs to be treated equally. So um, it, if it can be proposed as a business case scenario that has a trial period, typically it gets more traction and it often works. You know, great advice. That's really great advice. I just, I just think that if you don't ask, you don't get, right? Yeah, I right. connections with people or with opportunities. And I also feel that now more than ever, we have, I feel like what you teach ultimately in, in your webinars, in your podcasts, in your daily emails, you're, you're constantly advocating that the person sees themselves as the captain of their opportunities professionally and that you can't surrender that leadership uh, over to anybody. You have to be always thinking about your future and how you position yourself. And that to me is just, it's very empowering as opposed to seeing yourself as a victim of circumstance or I can't do this because my boss won't let me. You you're always talking about 
how you get to be the exception if you start to think of yourself as empowered to ask for the exception. Right. Yeah. No, it's good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Lucas, so, any questions you have that I didn't let you ask? No, there's so many uh, great points in here that uh, also I feel like there were so many similarities I was thinking across the board of like, of like trading, like people who, um, let's say with, for example, the idea of companies not um, uh, embracing some of the aspects of working remotely that like they were forced to um, acquire over the mm. past couple of years and not continuing those things. Uh, like if you are, if you are inflexible as a trader, you can also just like go by the wayside pretty quickly as well. Right. right. Um, and so uh, I, I think that's a big point. I think that should be underlined for uh, companies. And like, if you uh, are in charge of a company, like embrace like all the aspects that you have of these, the, like the things they were forced to do um, instead of just being like, we need to go back to how it was like there, right. there is no back to how it was. Right. Like this, is, this is just the now. So I think that was very good. Yet. Oh, good. No, that was that's an excellent point. Yeah. Good, good, good correlation there to bring it back. Sure. Anything else you want to say to those who are listening, perhaps who have never had a resume or who haven't been in the work, you know, world for a while? Uh, any last parting thoughts or words of wisdom? For them? You know, I mean, you know, I before I opened a resume writing business, I actually landed. I was hired into jobs three times at the job didn't exist, you know, and I think two of them, I didn't even need the resume to be honest. Right. So like if you're talking to people and your skills proceed, you know, your, if your reputation precedes you in many ways, like, you know, a resume is a tool, right? It's not a LinkedIn profile is a tool. LinkedIn's a tool. So it's, it's the conceptually, the key is just keep things warm outside of your regular, you know, income and just because you never know. Right. And, and so however that looks for somebody, I think is the key. Um, and if that does take the form of, you know, a resume, a side gig or, you know, a business, whatever, then so be it. It could be Instagram, who knows, right? So like, I think the key is just to, um, you know, most people go through, I, I forget the, the current study, I think it's like four or five careers in their lifetime, right? So chances are, if you're, you know, early 30s trading, and it's been two years, you may not trade the rest of your life, you may have variations of it, and not because it's not working, or you're not good at it. Mm -hmm. But because you might get tired of it. Yeah. So, you know, just the key is just to kind of keep things open. So yeah. nothing gets pulled out from under you. The last piece before we close up is I just want you to talk a little bit about your personal journey, how incredibly uh, adaptive you have been. Just kind of like, you know, your story. It's like how you, even going to Cornell, Lisa, um. just, it's so inspiring. And I ultimately want our audience to always be inspired by our guests and you are one of the most inspiring people I know. So share a little bit if you're willing. Um, you know, I, that's, that's, that's humbling. Thank you. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I kind of, it's like such a not great way of saying this, but I've just always been, it's just to me a constant theme. I'm always like a quality spaghetti thrower. <laughs> I see what sticks, you know, like even applying to college, like I, 
you know, I picked Cornell, strangely enough, not having having been there because I was on the track team in high school and we ran at all of the Ivy Leagues except MIT and Cornell. And I didn't like the other ones and I thought MIT was too cold. So I figured I'd try Cornell. <laughs> it was literally, you know, like I can't say it was this scientific approach, um, you know, but, and, you know, and, and then when I got in, like, you know, I, I don't know, like I appealed my financial aid letter and they gave me my parents, I was going where my parents had to pay the least and Cornell is the one I ended up paying, my parents had to pay the least at. Like they gave me a grant. It just kind of like, you know, cause I appealed it. I was like, well, you just try it, see what happens. And, you know, and I feel like, you know, even in, in business or you, you, when I was a recruiter, you would just, you pitch the job. And if they said no, you pitch somebody else. And, you know, and you did it mindfully and you wanted it to be a good fit. You know, it wasn't like just slamming people into jobs or anything like that. Cause if they didn't stick, you didn't make your money. Right. So like, it still always had to be qualitatively done. Um, and I, even with the business, like I put out a lot of information and sometimes, you know, marketing coaches I hire, they're like, you know, you give out too much for free. And, and I don't even say that as a humble brag. It's just, you know, you should dial it back. It should be more strategic. It should be more personal, pers- purposeful. And, you know, I just really like sharing the stories for people to learn. And, you know, it's, it's my pro bono work I view it as, you know, and, and I think it attracts the person that I want, you know, versus like, you know, um, going after things or something like that. So I don't know, I, I, I probably could be more strategic about things. I probably could be more definitive about an approach, but, um, I don't know, it's kind of worked for me for the most part. Uh, and, you pivot, um, though. You pivot on a dime. You know, yeah. you, you don't uh, practice. You're not attached. Like, just the way you have reinvented yourself, reinvented opportunities for yourself, things show up and you're like, huh, okay, didn't see that coming. Or maybe even I did and I have to pivot now. You're right. flexible and you're always willing to be with the hard truths and then move in a different direction if necessary it's it's a life skill never mind a career skill yeah no i I definitely reinvented a few times but you know i think and i see this with like successful executives like when they finally come to somebody like me um and i think it's with anyone who's and i could see like a successful trader all of a sudden having things shift you know Mm -hmm. when you when you when you're starting out and it's not a young versus old thing but just you know, younger people have less experience. I think when you when you have less to lose, it's easier to be nimble, right? And when you reach a certain level of success, it's harder to be nimble and, and harder to be unattached, right? Because you don't want to lose what you have. And, you know, but you realize you still need to pivot. And it's just, and that, you know, that can happen to somebody in their 20s or 30s. It's just more likely to happen to somebody in their 40s or 50s, just by the odds, right? It's not, but it's not unique to, to our age bracket, right? So like, um, and so I should say my age bracket. I don't know if Lucas yeah. is in my age bracket. I shouldn't say your age and I can't assume Lucas is in my age bracket. So there you go. <laughs> um, you know, but, but it's, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and I, I try to help other people go through that, too, because it does. It's hard. You know, it's hard. Yeah. You know, sure. to, to all of a sudden in your 40s or 50s have to do a job search proactively when you feel like you've arrived. 
you know, it, it's, it's sort of like the, you know, you, you, nobody would ever say this out loud, but there's that little bit of like, do you know who I am? Like, <laughs> you know, aren't you talking to me? Absolutely. <laughs> right at the Absolutely. point you think you've arrived, you actually need to now go like, pitch yourself because your reputation is not preceding you anymore. So and, it's, and it's, it's humbling. It's incredibly humbling and, yeah. and terrifying if you haven't had to do it for a very long time. Uh, there was one client that I, that had started with me because this person was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take myself and level up and I've got that leverage and a week into the coaching beginning, the position was terminated and it completely threw yeah. everything off. It was like, I've got the whole world as my oyster to right. holy crap. What the hell? What right, are you going for a raise? And they're like, oh, we're giving you your pink slip. <laughs> you know, like, or, you know, and it's like, oh, right. I missed that message. <laughs> you know, exactly. so. but I was able to send that client your way. And of course you took care of everything and then everything was solved all for the better. Uh, but the point is Kurt Walls are out there. People prepare for them now, build the world now. Yeah. And he says one of the, most shining stars out there to help you reinvent yourself re and or brand yourself for the first time. So thank you for coming on here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank and you. For sharing thank you. your words of wisdom. All right. We will see you all on the next, the wall street coach podcast. We'll have all of Lisa's information in the liner notes for you guys to find her uh, and learn from her and let us know if you like this topic. Uh, I'm always trying to think about, topics and guests that can serve you as a trader, but also serve you just as a human being in this very crazy volatile world. So I hope that this uh, does what you need it to do. And uh, if you want something else and you want to hear different topics, let us know, please put them in the comments. Thank you, Lucas. It's yeah. good to see you. Thanks, Lisa. Okay, I'll talk for now. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with K-Man Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.